How are we doing tonight? Good. Thank you for our online audience for joining us as well. So I have a couple of announcements, and then we'll get into an offering. If you would like to be baptized, we are doing baptisms this, no, communion service, which is the 24th. And then if you would like to help bless our overseas pastors and their families, there is a Christmas tree out in the foyer, and it has little stars on it, and it says an amount to give. So we would need that, though, given back this Sunday, which is the 17th. And so then for our Vision 2025, it is a giving program to raise money to pay off all of our debt and uh, to pay off our buildings and be debt-free by 2025, which leads me into offering. And in Proverbs 11, 24, it says, One gives freely, yet grows all the riches. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. So whenever... We give to God, we should be giving freely, and this is a giving season that we're in right now, and God will just multiply our givings whenever we do it with a full heart. So I'm going to pray for offering, and if you would like to give, um, the offering buckets will be in the back, and you guys can just give after service. So God, I thank you for every person in this room, and I thank you for the people watching online tonight. I thank you that you're just opening up our hearts to hear your word, and I thank you for just blessing the offering that will be given tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And here's Pastor Kevin. Thank you. Good evening, Lake Church. Good to see everybody tonight. So we are going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, if you want to get your Bibles out. This is Bible study night. That's what we do on Wednesday night. This is Wednesday night Bible study. If you're here for the first time, Sunday we usually preach on topical teachings, but on Wednesday nights we do verse-by-verse teachings. Uh, Sometimes we do some topics, but most of the time we do verse by verse. That way we get to go deep into the Word. And so, always bring your Bible. Be ready to follow along. You'll want to mark things that you hear and and, uh, be able to go back and study on your own. Because it's really, whenever a minister brings forth a Word, it's just to be a starting point for your own quest. That you take what's presented and you begin to, to dig in for yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to bring that word to life in you. And so that's what we're doing in the book of Galatians. Um, and last week I told you as I was ministering along, 
I just stopped. I said, I'm not going to give you the rest of the story tonight. Um, but we are going to be talking about tonight, what was the purpose of the law? Because we've been talking about in the first three chapters how that, you know, different scriptures, different principles have been laid out, such as no flesh will be justified by works of the law. What that means is there's not one person that's going to be declared innocent in the sight of God because of their performance of keeping the law. Not one person. No flesh, not one person will be justified and declared righteous by God because of their performance of the law. So we know that. No flesh will be justified. We also found out that the true sons of Abraham were not his natural descendants, but those who had faith like Abraham had faith. It's only those who are of faith that are the sons of Abraham and in position to receive the blessing or to receive the inheritance that God promised to Abraham. And the Jews, you know, they thought, oh, just because Abraham is our natural, we are natural descendants of Abraham, we're automatically in. But uh, Paul was teaching that's not necessarily the case. For even Abraham had eight sons, only one was of the seed of the promise. Only Isaac. Think about that. He had seven other sons who were not a part of the promise. So it's only those who are of faith who are blessed with believing Abraham. Okay, so also we learned that if you are of the law, which means you're relying on your performance to be right with God, then you are under the curse because... The only way to receive the blessing under the law is that you must continue in all things that are written therein to do them. <laughs> See, <clears throat> people who try to perform in order to be right with God, well, they just pick out the parts they like and they want to keep. But the law itself declares that if you're going to be justified based on your performance, your performance has to be perfect. Okay, so one of the reasons people don't understand is because it's not that they don't understand the gospel, it's they don't understand what the law says. You know, sometimes people think, oh, well, God just wants us to do the best we can, and then Jesus makes up the difference. That's absolutely not the truth. And that's what we're going to find out tonight. The law was never intended for that. <clears throat> I also talked about the fact that the law is a carnal commandment, according to Hebrews chapter 7. It only dealt with the outer man. It only dealt with your actions, but it did nothing to the inner man. It did nothing with our nature. And our problem was not necessarily our actions. The problem was our nature. Our actions, our misbehavior, was the evidence that we had a deeper problem. We had a nature problem. Listen, we were not sinners because we sinned. We sinned because we were sinners. That's why all have sinned, because we all had the nature of sin in us when we were born a descendant of Adam. Okay, so um, 
It's a carnal commandment. The law is not even of faith. It says that in Galatians 3.12. The law is not of faith. It takes no faith in order to keep the law. You read the commandment, you do what it says. Okay, it doesn't require faith. It is not of faith. It is of self-effort. To take the law and try to be made right with God based on the keeping of the law is to try and be righteous by your own self-effort. Okay, so also uh, God gave the, law, gave the promise or gave the blessing to Abraham by way of promise. And the law is about performance. It's either one or the other. You're either relating to God based on your performance or his promise. Okay? So it's one of the two. The two don't work together. The two are opposite. You're either trusting in what Jesus did for you or you're trusting in what you're doing for Jesus. Okay? So, um, even the fact that when God made the promises to Abraham, he never gave him the law. Did you ever think about that? He could have. God intentionally didn't give the law to Abraham. I mean, think about this. It's not like God was going, well, I'd like to give it to him, but we just don't have it finished yet. (laughs) So, you know, we're running behind on getting all the details of the law worked out, so we can't give it to him. No, God in his foreknowledge and his providence was unfolding a plan. And it wasn't time to give the law yet. Because the law served a specific purpose. But God didn't give it to Abraham, not because he couldn't yet, but by his own providence. Because he was going to give it at a specific time for a specific purpose. And so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What was the purpose of the law? Because if all these things are true, why in the world did God give it to begin with? Okay, so let's look at Galatians chapter 3. We're going to look at verse 19. And this is what he says. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? Man, I tell you what, you read through Galatians chapter 3. I mean, Galatians chapters 1 through 3. You get to this point, you'll be scratching your head saying the same thing. Well, what purpose did the law serve anyway? And this is what he says. It was added because of transgressions. First thing I want to point out is that the law was added to the promise. Think about this. God gave Abraham the promise 430 years before he gave the law, approximately. 430 years before he gave the law. So the law was added, but it wasn't added to, because we read last week that if a man, uh, um, that no one can add to or Uh, take away from a covenant once it's established. Once it's established, it's done. You can't change it. And so God didn't add the law to the Abrahamic covenant. See, the law is not part of the Abrahamic covenant. He added it alongside of the Abrahamic covenant. So it was an addition, not to, but alongside. So God, because of transgressions, until the seed should come. There it tells you right there it was only temporary. It was until the seed should come. And who's the seed? 
Jesus. So we know that Christ, when he came, he was the seed of Abraham. We read that in those verses last week. So the law was given alongside of the promise until the promise could be fulfilled by the seed, which is Christ, being born into the earth to go about and do the work of redemption. So it was just a temporary addition alongside until the promise could be fulfilled. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now let's look at this in Romans chapter 3. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. See, because of transgressions, uh, God had to give the law so that people would realize sin. See, where we live in the dispensation we live in, we're very well acquainted. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But see, Adam had disobeyed God in the law. They never had a written law all that time. And so people were comparing themselves among themselves. They were just being led by their own conscience. And how many of you know the Bible says you can sear your conscience as with a hot iron? Your conscience isn't necessarily a good guide unless it's been renewed to the Word of God. So people were just being led by their conscience. They were looking at people around them and going, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I must be okay. And so people had no idea that they were sinners. And they sure didn't know that they had the nature of sin on the inside of them. They actually believed that they could make themselves right with God. And so God gave the law and said, you actually believe you can be right with me based on your own performance? Here's my standard then. Have at it. See how well you can do. It was added because of transgression. See, the law was never a means of salvation. And my goodness, how many people have ever been heard messages and sermons that present the law as the means of salvation? Keep these things and you'll get to go to heaven. The law was never a means of salvation. It was a measure to show us our need for salvation. See, people will tell you, well, I'm not, I'm not a good person. You know, there's a right use of the law. If someone says, I don't need Jesus, I'm a good person. You know what you can do? You can just take them to the top 10. You don't even got to take them through 615. Just take them to the top 10. And just start working your way down that list. And you're going to hit them over and over and over again. And you can ask them. So according to God's standard, are you a good person? Because here's the thing. If you failed one time, We read that scripture last week, James 2.10. If you keep the whole law and you fail in one point, you're guilty of it all. James 2.10. I'm going to give that to you again. James 2.10. If you keep the whole law and fail in one point, you're guilty of it all. See, so the law was never given to be a means of salvation. It was given to give us the knowledge of of sin it was given to show us that we were a sinner that we were guilty before God 
And I'll say it like this. We were deserving of and destined for the wrath of God. Because if you sin one time from the day you were born to the day you die, you have fallen short of the glory of God. And you are destined for separation from God, deserving of it, and destined for separation from God, deserving of and destined for the wrath of God. That is why God gave the law not to bring the knowledge of salvation but to bring the knowledge of sin. It was to bring a personal knowledge of sin. See, before you can appreciate fully what Jesus did, you need to have a full understanding of what the law says. See, I think a lot of people grown up in church, oh man, they've grown up in church, and I know there's people who have grown up in church, and they think that they're saved just because their family were Christians. Come on, somebody. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of people who mark Christian on forms. And they never have made a confession of faith. Uh, they just, because their family were Christians, just like if you have a certain, you're a certain race. Well, that's what my family is. That's what I am. You know? No, this is about a personal relationship with God. To where you first have to recognize the fact that you are separated from him before you can realize your need to be reconciled back to him. In fact, really the fullest extent of the law. I am, You know what? I was raised with a real legalistic understanding. And, you know, it's, there's two sides to it. You know, I, I just hate legalism <laughs> because I see what it does to people. But then again, on the flip side, I'm thankful because I'm so appreciative of the gospel now. The depth of my understanding of legalism gave me a depth of appreciation for the free gift of righteousness that it just, you know, I just cannot stand legalistic thinking now because it blinds people to the reality of the good news that the gospel is. That's what the word gospel means. Good news. You being your own savior is not good news. (laughs) Good news is that God became a man and he became your substitute. And he met every legal demand that the law required of mankind because of sin to the fullest for you on your behalf. (laughs) Not to let us off the hook, to rescue us. Because we were hopelessly unable to do anything about our condition. Listen, we could have stopped sinning for the rest of our life and it wouldn't change our nature. No, Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of God or you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. What that word, the phrase born again means is born from above. Adam fell from sonship into sin. But Jesus came to take sin and raise us to sonship. To cause us to be born of God. 
Man, that's what it says in John 1. It says that as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm born of God. <laughs> we are, if you're born, if you're saved here tonight, you have been born of God. You have his spiritual DNA. <laughs> you're his offspring. And I, I've went all the way to the end of the chapter already. <laughs> That's all right. We'll go back and go through the details. <laughs> but he gave the law to bring the knowledge of sin, to bring every person to the awareness that they are guilty before God. And when I say the knowledge of sin, one of the things you need to understand about the book of Romans is when it uses the word sin... There's only one or two times in the whole book it uses the word sin as a verb. Every other time, the word sin is a noun. And we know that a noun is a person, place, or thing. So when he's talking about sin in the book of Romans, he's talking about the nature. So he came to bring, the law was given to reveal the nature of sin that was on the inside of us. Because we try with all of our might to do what's right. You know, Paul's talked about this in Romans 7. And this, he was talking about life under the law. He said, everything I want to do, I don't do. And everything I don't want to do, I do. He wasn't talking about the normal Christian experience. That is not the Christian experience. The Christian experience is the overcoming, victorious life that when we walk in the Spirit, we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He wasn't saying, here's what to expect for the rest of your life. You're going to want to do things and not do them, and the things you don't want to do, you're going to do. Now, I'm not saying we don't struggle. What I'm saying is that he was talking about trying to live for God using the law. Okay? Why? Because the nature of sin um, is unable to produce the righteousness of God. And we were born with the nature, the sin nature. But Jesus came and he took that nature upon himself when he was crucified. That's why he says in Romans 6 uh, that the old man was crucified with him. That we might not be slaves to sin any longer. What was he saying? That we don't have to be a slave to the nature of sin. Why? It's put to death. It's put to death and we are raised to newness of life in him. That raising to newness of life is the born again experience. Hallelujah. It's when we have been justified in the sight of God. Our temple, the temple has been cleansed for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So the law was given to give us. The knowledge of sin. Look at this verse in Romans 7. He says, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin. See that? He's trying to reveal the problem here. Was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. 
Here's what he's saying. He's saying sin is so bad that it actually takes the good commandment of God and uses it to bring about death. You know what the law does is it stirs up the nature of the flesh and gives motion to the actions of sin. The law of God does that. It causes you. Listen, when you draw a line in the sand, all of a sudden now you can step over it. If there was no speed limit down this highway, you could drive as fast as you want. You'd never break the law. But as soon as you put a sign up out there saying 65 miles per hour, now suddenly we're in a hurry. (laughs) Have you ever noticed it doesn't matter what the speed is? I'm not going to admit to anything, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you're on a road that says 55, 65, or 80. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got that. We got that cushion, don't we? <laughs> Come on, see, I got you. I got you. <laughs> see, it's just that nature. It's just like I'm gonna push it. <laughs> and that's what it is. That's what the law was. God gave it because he knew that that nature would push against the limits. And he was trying to reveal to us. See, it's so bad that it actually causes us to be able to see that sin is exceedingly sinful. Here's the thing. You can't rehabilitate the sin nature. Mm. See, trying to be made right with the law is trying to rehabilitate the old man. Trying to rehabilitate the old man. Well, we, if we can just change his behavior, you know, he's, he's pretty good already. We just need to, you know, work on him a little bit. No, no, no. You know what the, the gospel reveals? That the nature was so bad that it had to be killed. It had to be killed. You couldn't rehabilitate him. He could only be put to death and you be raised to newness of life, a new creation. Amen. Yeah, we can't just be fixed up. We're just not, it's not like we just need a little help from Jesus. No, you have to realize according to what the law reveals, you're hopelessly unable to be rehabilitated. Okay, so um, Let's go back to that verse. I want to read it one more time. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. To whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Verse 20. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Now this scripture is really talking about the fact that the old covenant law was a bilateral covenant. It required two people. So man had a part to fulfill in order to qualify for the blessing. Okay? He had to perform something in order to qualify for the blessing. If you go read Deuteronomy chapter 28, it says, If you hearken diligently to obey all that is written therein, then all of these blessings are going to come upon you. Did you catch that language? I've heard people preach that, like that's how we get it now. If you hearken diligently to obey all, 
We, we just skip over that little word. <laughs> well, surely God will be happy if I just fulfill as much as I can. No, to do all that is written therein. He's talking about the law. Then all of these blessings will come upon you. Okay? But the Abrahamic covenant is a unilateral covenant. It was a covenant actually made between God the Father and God the Son. And when Jesus became a man, he fulfilled the divine side and the human side. He's our representative. He is the only mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is his human and divine name put into one. It's a unilateral covenant. We don't perform to qualify to partake of the blessings of the covenant. Jesus made us the benefactors by faith. The same way as Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham. What did Abraham perform in in order to receive the promise? Nothing. What's the Bible said? He believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. He believed God. That was it. God made a promise. He said, I believe he'll fulfill it. Oh. And Abraham is our example. See, we take our example of how to relate to God from Moses and the law. And that is not what God demonstrated for us. In fact, the the New Testament never talks about us relating to God through the law and through Moses. But some people who've been raised in denominational thinking are more married to Moses than they are married to Jesus. They'll fight you over Moses. They're more, more, and you know what? (laughs) They're more married to Moses than they are married to Jesus. Mm. It's a unilateral covenant. Jesus fulfilled both sides. But see, we're trying to fulfill the human side. We're working our fingers to the bone. Trying to make up the difference for what Jesus didn't accomplish. We wouldn't say it that way. But we don't really believe that he fully provided the benefits for us as a gift. Oh, we're trying to tie up the loose ends as if he left something undone. Now listen, (laughs) I'm not saying that our behavior is not important. But we'll get to that later. (laughs) Right behavior comes from right believing. Not the other way around. Right believing leads to right behavior. Why do you think he put all the doctrine up front in this book? And he'll talk about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit a couple chapters later. But first of all, we got to get our thinking right. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And we read in Romans chapter 4 that if you're working for something, it's not given to you as grace, but as debt. And I told you this, that when we're trying to work for the blessings of God, we are trying to put God in debt to us. If I do this, he has to do this. And I'm telling you what, that is not the way it works. Ephesians chapter 2, 
In fact, let's, let's look at that. I don't even have that on my notes, but let, let's look at this. This tells us how we're saved. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm taking you someplace. I don't know if you realize it yet or not. But we're on a journey. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. There's the formula for receiving from God. Because the word saved does not mean ticket to heaven. The word saved is the word sozo, and it means to be saved, delivered, healed, made whole. It's an all-encompassing word. It's a word that means all of that. So you could say it like this. You could say, for by grace we are healed through faith. For by grace we are delivered through faith. Through, by, by grace, we are made whole Amen. through faith. And let me finish it here. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Did you catch that? It is a gift of God. So saving, healing, Delivering and being made whole are come to you as a gift, not as a wage. Let me read that again. A couple of you got it. (laughs) For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's the key. No one is going to boast in the presence of God that they accomplished their own salvation. Mm. I'm going to have a drink on that one. See, the Abrahamic covenant is a unilateral covenant. That's what I was talking about. It was a covenant made by God the Father and God the Son. And Abraham was the benefactor by faith. It's the same for us. Abraham and the way God related to Abraham is our example. In fact, I'll give you these scriptures. We won't go there for the sake of time. But go read Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It tells you clearly that he's the father of all of those who have the same kind of faith that Abraham had. Which was what? God made Abraham a promise and he believed God. He didn't believe in God. He knew God already. He believed God. He took him at his word. And if you go on down a few more verses, it says, this is not written for Abraham alone that he was made righteous by faith, but for us who will be made right or justified by believing on Jesus. Man, he is our example, not Moses and the law. Abraham, and I told you at the beginning, God in his providence didn't give Abraham the law on purpose. Because if he did, somebody would be able to point back and say, well, see, Abraham had the law too. No, God didn't even give it to him. 
<laughs> he did that on purpose so that no one could say that Abraham receiving the promise had anything to do with his performance of the law. Verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly, certainly not. Listen, the law is not contrary to the promise. It's complementary to the promise. It serves a function, but it's just not a part of our salvation. Okay, so let's look further. Certainly not, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. This verse here says the law cannot impart the life of God to you. There's the problem. The law demanded righteousness, but it didn't provide righteousness. The law demanded righteousness, but it didn't do anything to help you walk in and fulfill righteousness in your life. See, it was unable to. It could only point to a standard, but it didn't help you walk in the standard in any way. It could not impart to us the life of God. And that's what I've been talking about is we had the nature of the devil in us. We had the Adamic nature, the fallen nature that was the, gave us, a, it drove us towards sinful behavior. And the law was given, it couldn't give us life. It couldn't give us the law of the spirit of life which raises us up above the law and sin and death where we could live on the plane that God created us to live on. It couldn't do it. It could only point out our deficiencies and listen, if you try to relate to God still under the law, it's just going to do nothing but point out your deficiencies. It won't impart any kind of life to you. Verse 22, But the Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So it says confined. This is the word for imprisonment. We were imprisoned to sin. We were imprisoned to sin, under sin, and the purpose was so that we would realize that we are imprisoned and somebody, we got to have a way out. And the law cannot give you a way out of the sinful condition that we were in, born in as a descendant of Adam, where we were imprisoned under sin with no way of getting out. And the law was no help in that. Okay? The law was no help in that. <clears throat> and we were imprisoned under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who, what? Believe. I thought it said behave. <laughs> no. It's given to those who believe. And behavior follows your belief. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You know what the law did? The law proved that there was no other way for us to be saved than through faith in the finished work of Jesus. 
That's, what, that's the purpose of the law. It was given to show us that we were guilty before God, that we had a sin nature. We were unable to produce the righteousness of God by our own ability, by our own self-effort, so that we would be imprisoned and locked in with no other way out than if Jesus come along with the key and unlocked the prison door and let us out. By faith in Jesus, that's the only way to get out of imprisonment under sin. That was the purpose, to take away our, any hope of us justifying ourselves by our performance. It was just a tutor to lead us to Jesus so that we could be justified by faith. But as long as you think that you can use the law to justify yourself, then you're still imprisoned under sin. Mm. It was to give us no way out. Look at these verses in Romans chapter 3. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of Jews only? Here's a good point that Paul makes. If the law is a part of salvation then you all are doomed because you were never given the law. <laughs> Here's the thing. If the law has any part of salvation, then we're all excluded because unless you're a Jew, then you're excluded from being under the law because the Gentiles were never a part of that covenant. That's why he says this. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Remember we talked about, the other day we talked about the fact that uh, God, when he gave the promise to Abraham, he said that you would be the father of many nations. Ah, see, Abraham wasn't just the father of the Jewish nation. Why, Abraham wasn't even a Jew. Mm. He wasn't the father of the Jewish nation. He was the father of many nations. And when he promised him that I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing, what did he say? And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What was he doing? He was preaching the gospel to Abraham beforehand. That was preaching the gospel to Abraham. What was he saying? There's a seed that's going to come through you. And through him, all of the nations of the earth are going to be justified in my sight. The same way that you are. Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you what. That is awesome sauce. <laughs> that is. That, that is awesome. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Abraham believed the gospel. And God counted it to him for righteousness. Mm. And did you know Abraham never saw the fulfillment? Isaac was not the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. He was a means to an end, but not the end itself. Jesus is the fulfillment. Of the Abrahamic covenant. He is the seed to whom the promises were made. And through him and our union with him. 
We are benefactors of all of the blessings of the new covenant. Amen. Hallelujah. Look at this. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by, through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? This is a great question. Because Jesus said he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. It says, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. The law is God's eternal standard. The law is the nature and character of God revealed in principle. Do you know God is a king? And when kings speak, their word is law. So everything God declares comes from his nature. Hmm. So we're not voiding the law by operating in faith without works. That's what a lot of people say. Oh, well, you're just doing away with the law of God. Look at this. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. You know what he's saying? We establish the law for the purpose and intent that God gave it, which was what? To lead us to Christ. Look at this. Let's go back to that verse we read in Galatians 3. But after faith has come, and did you know actually in the Greek, here's why you need to study because there's little things that make big differences. Where it says after faith has come, did you know there is a what's called a definite article in the Greek? So it actually is after the faith has come. See, because there was always faith. Abraham was justified by faith, but Jesus hadn't come yet. All of the people in the Old Testament, none of them were justified or saved by keeping the law. They were saved by faith. Before the law, under the law, and after the law. That's the only way anybody. Remember, by works of the law shall how many? Yeah. There will be no flesh justified. See, after faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor. Why? Because all he did was bring us to Jesus. Oh, man. That was the whole purpose, to bring us to Christ. Mm. I would dare say some people are still... Now, don't take what I'm going to say wrong. I'm not saying you're not saved. I would say there's still people that are double-minded in coming fully to Christ. Man, think about it. I got James chapter 1 coming to my mind. It talks about a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think he'll receive anything from God. Why? He's, he's, trying to, he's trying to operate in two systems. Mm. He's trying to believe God and then, and, then perform, and then perform it himself. Mm. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And we establish the law for the purpose that it was given when we quit trying to justify ourselves. 
and we come to faith in Jesus. I'm going to say that again. I don't know if you caught that. We uphold the law. Let me go back to this. Wait a minute. On the contrary, we establish the law. I keep saying uphold because in the ESV it says uphold. We establish the law for the purpose it was given when we stop trying to justify ourselves and we put our faith fully in Jesus. Verse 26 of Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This was the goal. (laughs) This was the goal. This is what he wanted all along. Sons. It's sonship. The whole purpose of the Abrahamic covenant was to bring about a seed who would be able to receive all of the blessings that God intended to come into the human experience. Mm. And when we believe on Jesus, we are all sons through faith in Jesus Christ. You've arrived. You've arrived. Say, I've arrived. You don't act convinced. (laughs) You're already there. If you would start believing that and internalize that truth to where it is your identity, then you'll quit trying to get somewhere and be something that you don't believe you are. I'm telling you what, the moment I said, yes, Jesus, that I said, Jesus is Lord. Listen, Jesus is Lord, whether you believe it or not. There came a day when it was revealed to me that Jesus is Lord. And faith came into my heart and I was able to say, Jesus is Lord. And the moment I did, I became a son of God. Mm. And the word sons here is very interesting. It's the word weos in the Greek. There are a few different words for child or son in the Greek. And the word weos means mature son. You say, well, I thought we came in as babes in Christ. You do in your outer life. But in the inner man, you are complete in him. Your your inner man, the new creation man, he doesn't grow up. He's complete. He is truly righteous and holy. The moment you say Jesus is Lord, you become a mature son. That's what it says. For you are all sons, mature sons. It has to do with being qualified to be a partaker of an inheritance. That's what this word son is predominantly used for, is to indicate that you are an heir of of an inheritance. In fact, it's the word used when it refers to Jesus as a son of Abraham, a son of David, The son of God, it's always this word. Mm. The same word for son. Now he's going to use in a a few verses, he's going to use another word, which talks about being a child. So let's look at this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. This word baptized is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about identification with Christ. It's talking about the fact that you become one with him in the new birth. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says we were all baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ. The moment you say Jesus is Lord, you are born again. You become one spirit with him. You are united to him. The same is true that Jesus said that when the spirit of truth comes, you will know that I'm in the Father, that you are in me, and that I am in you. What it's talking about is being immersed in Christ. I am in Him. He is in me. We are one spirit. And He didn't take on my attributes. I took on His. He didn't take on my identity. He killed it. And I took on His. That's how John could say in 1 John chapter 4, As He is, so are we in this world. Now, i got to grow up in my outward manifestation of Christ. But the moment that I'm born again, I'm one with Him. I have the potential of the mature Son on the inside. Which means that I am now able to be a partaker of the inheritance. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 1. It says, giving thanks unto the Father who has qualified us. You know what legalism is? People going around trying to qualify themselves. He says, who has qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. You don't earn inheritance. You get it because you're born into it. But what he's going to show here in a few verses is that even though you're an heir, if you're not a mature heir, you don't get everything turned over to you until you're, you come into a place of maturity. But we are born into it, guys. Look at this verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? All outward distinctions are gone. It's not the outward, it's the inward. For you are one in Him. Okay? And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. I tell you what, you miss a good place to shout right there. If you're Christ's, then you're Abraham's seed. And He's the seed who received the blessings who received the promise that God made to Abraham. You know, thousands, millions of people lived looking toward the fulfillment of the promise. We live on this side of the promise. We live in the dispensation where we are all sons of God through Christ Jesus. We are all heirs of God. Heirs according to the promise that God made to Abraham. We're living in the fulfillment of that. We need to be shaken and woken up <laughs> to what belongs to us. Because I'm telling you, the enemy will try to convince you that you're not. 
If you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I'm going to finish up with these few verses in uh, chapter 4 because they tied together. Now he says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child. Now this is the word nepios. This is talking about an immature child. One who hasn't reached uh, the age to be able to be responsible. Okay. I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he's master of all. Here's what he's saying. That a child born into a family is an heir of the inheritance, but he hasn't reached the place where it can be, he can partake of it yet. Does that make sense? So really in function, he acts, he's just like a slave because he's, he's under, it just, he gets what's given to him. But in principle, he's the heir of everything. Okay? But is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Oh, man. (laughs) He's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. So he's under the overseeing of parents or whatever until an appointed time for the inheritance to be released to him. Okay, even so we, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elemental spirits of the world. Now, I'm going to try to explain this. The law treats you like a child. Okay? The law cannot bring a person to a place of spiritual maturity. The law treats you like a child. Do this, don't do this. <laughs> See what I'm saying? But you can't reason with a child. So what do you do? If you don't do what I said, oh, a lot of people don't do that anymore, but uh, it's a biblical principle. <laughs> You know, if we instituted that, we might see a lot of problems go away. <laughs> because they may not be able to understand why they shouldn't do something. But boy, they know when that pain comes on the backside. I don't want that again. Okay? But the law, that's what he's saying here, is the law treated us like children. And it could never bring you to a place of maturity. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elemental, uh, under the elements of the world. Now, this phrase, elements of the world, I want to share some things with, uh, with you about it. Because he's talking about the principles of law. Now, not just the law of Moses. I hope I don't lose you here. I got a couple slides I'm going to show you. So this word, stoicheia which is translated elements of the world. This is talking about the elementary principles of the cosmos. I know you guys are familiar with that word. Cosmos is the systems of the world. So the whole world system is founded upon these elementary principles that keep a person in bondage. Okay, so let me show you this. First of all, in the helps word study, 
It says that this word means fundamentals, like the basic components of a philosophy, structure, etc. First principles is what it means, like basic fundamentals of Christianity. Okay? Now look at this one. This is Thayer's lexicon. It says, It refers to the rudiments with which mankind were indoctrinated before the time of Christ. That is, the elements of religious training or the ceremonial precepts common alike alike to the worship of Jews and Gentiles. This is why I told you in the beginning Legalism is an ism that's the same as any other ism in the world. Hinduism, Buddhism, legalism are all a part of the principles of the same system. They are not operate these these religious ideas are not based on grace and faith. Legalism is me trying to put God in debt to me so he has to respond to me. Grace is God revealing what he did for me and me responding in faith. Oh, man. This shows you, this word is talking about the fact that Jew and Gentile alike were trained under the same type of basic principles, religious principles, okay? And were held in bondage to them. Okay. Look at this. The RSV, however, renders this word as elemental spirits. Spiritual powers or cosmic spirits. This view as elements, as ancient astral beings associated with the very beginning of the earth. What is revealed here is that Satan uses the very law that God gave to put you in bondage. I said it last week that Satan wants you, believer, to prove you're a saint by trying to use the same law God gave to prove that you're a sinner. Mm. This word is talking about the elemental spirits of the world they want to you remember when i read to you from romans 10 talking about that the jews uh wanted to go about establishing their own righteousness rather than receive the righteousness of god by faith and i said why would anybody do that why would anybody go oh god's offering me the free gift of His righteousness, but I reject that. I want to go about and establish my own righteousness. There's only one reason, demonic deception. Oh, I had to take the jacket off now. (laughs) I'm telling you, the enemy is a legalist. He wants to get you in the hamster wheel. Of trying to do for yourself what Jesus did for you as a free gift. And if he can get you over into operating by those basic symptoms, uh, those basic principles of the world, the principle of you get what you deserve, that's what it is. 
It's the principle of you get what you deserve. Listen, anybody can understand that. That's what the law said. You get what you deserve. He, a child can understand that. That's the point. It could never bring you to a place of maturity. In fact, until Christ came and performed the work of redemption so we could receive the Holy Spirit, we could never understand the principles of grace because it takes a revelation from the Spirit of God to be able to understand that you get what you don't deserve. (laughs) That's what grace is. You're getting what you don't deserve. And people who are stuck in religious mindsets, that's the problem they have with it. You're letting people get away with something. You're making them believe they're going to get what they don't deserve. Listen, wake up. We're all getting what we don't deserve. (laughs) Here's the gospel. Jesus got what you deserve so you could get what he deserves. That's what grace and faith are. And God decided to do it before you were ever born, before you ever did anything good or bad to deserve it. Mm. Mm. But these are the very things that the enemy... See, God didn't give it for us to use for that. He gave it to wake us up out of our own delusion so that we would realize we could never and that we would fully throw ourselves on the mercy of God provided through the sacrifice of Jesus and realize the value and the depth of what Jesus provided for us as a free gift and realize that we're not just made righteous to the level of our performance, but we are made the very righteousness of God Almighty. So that any angel or demon or entity that tries to stand in our way, we can tell them to get out of the way in the name of Jesus. Because we have a right to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Not because we're perfect, but because we have a perfect Savior who is our substitute. (laughs) I'm joined as in marriage to the seed of Abraham. I'm a son and an heir of God. Mm. I don't have time to go there. We'll do it later. Let me read you just these last few verses. But when the fullness of time had come, remember I just read, he said, there was a time appointed by the Father when the inheritance could be released. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, there's a lot that people say about this fullness of time. They'll say things, and I don't disagree with it. I think it's all true. But they'll say, because Rome was such a big empire, had such a great infrastructure, that it made it possible to take the gospel to all areas of the known world in a short amount of time. I I agree with that. That's what they'll talk about. They'll say, Um, The Koine Greek had been developed by then, so there was a common language so that the gospel could be communicated easily to all people. There's a lot of things like even the Roman government as a model of what the kingdom of God is. Listen, I believe in all of those things. But in context, I believe what he's talking about is that when... The law had been here for 1,500 years. If somebody could have been made right 
by their performance of the law, they would have done it by then. <laughs> the fullness of time was when God gave enough time under the law to convince people we could never be justified by our works. We could never be made right with God by our own performance. That's what the law was trying to reveal to us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. It says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. Mm. Man, there's a lot to... <laughs> we think that's just a, a surface scripture. But when it says yet sinners, he's saying we were still sinners even though we had the law for 1,500 years. And no one was able to meet the standard of God. All had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God, not because anybody had done anything to deserve it, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet, yet sinners, Christ died for us. In fact, that very passage of Scripture says we were helpless, ungodly, and enemies of God. And it was in that condition that God proved his love for us. When the fullness of time had come, it had been long enough for us to realize we could never save ourselves. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This adoption as sons, simply put, means to be set in the seat of sonship. That word is weothesia. It's the word weos for mature son and thesia, which means to place. You know what Jesus did through his redemptive work? He caused you to be seated in the place of sonship. Mm. Be seated in the place of sonship where you are qualified to be a partaker now of the inheritance of the saints in light because He has met every legal demand, every qualification, every requirement that was needed for us to be a partaker. He already met it all. And because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Man, that word crying out, it doesn't mean this. Abba, Father. <laughs> it doesn't mean Abba, Father, Abba. No, no, no. That word crying out means a loud shout that expresses an emotional. It's a revelation. When the Spirit comes on the inside of you, Romans 8 says that He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you have that revelation that you are now a son of God, then you cry out, Abba, Father! That's the same words Jesus used when He talked to the Father in prayer. He always called Him Abba, Father. You know what that says? God is a Father to you Exactly the same as he is to Jesus. Oh man, I could just take off running. You have the privilege to call God Father in the same way that Jesus calls God Father. 
It's not just principle, guys. It's literal. And you got to realize, I am not God's son in principle. I am literally his son. Why? Because I have been born of God. I'm telling you what, my spiritual DNA is the spiritual DNA of God. (laughs) Hallelujah. We're chip off the old block. (laughs) Because you are sons. Listen. We would have to be, think about this for a minute. For God to expect us to function the same as Jesus, we have to be the same. It would be, listen, think about it. It would be crazy for someone to expect you to fulfill something you don't have the ability to fulfill. Oh, come on now. For God to expect you to do the same works that Jesus did, then you have to have the same power, the same authority, the same anointing, the same right, the same inheritance that Jesus had. Come on. Think about it. And Jesus said, Whosoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these, because I go to the Father. Hmm. Because your sons, God sent the forth the spirit of his son into your heart to to convince you that it's true. Oh, man. But you got to get the word. See, the word reveals it. The spirit confirms it. But, you know, a couple weeks ago, pastor got up here and he said, we know these things, but many believers have not internalized them. They have not... They have not embraced them as their reality. And you know how you do that? You have to take these truths and meditate on them. What do I mean by meditate? I mean you have to confess these things over you. I am a son of God. If I am Christ, then I am Abraham's seed and I'm an heir according to the promise. You have to do that. And what happens is as you're doing that, the Holy Spirit's saying, Yes! Yes, that's true. Yes, that's you. Yes, he's confirming. the real. He's trying to convince you that that is the truth. In the last verse, therefore you are no longer a slave. We were. Under the law, you're a slave. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God. Through Christ. You know, I think it's interesting. It says you're an heir of God. It doesn't say an heir of God's kingdom. It says you're an heir of God. Oh, think about that. He is our inheritance. What David said, Lord, the Lord is my portion. That's what that word portion means. Your allotment, your inheritance. Oh, my goodness. See, we think of all the blessings of this life. And yes, listen, I believe in every one of them. The Lord has prospered in my life in ways I was just praying today and saying, Lord, you've done things in my life I never could have imagined. I never could have dreamed. I never would have asked for. But the greatest inheritance is him. He is life. He is power. 
He is everything that you need. Oh, what did he say? I am. I am what? I'm whatever you need. Oh, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Oh, thank you, Father. Now, let's just stand. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father God, that you have given us fully to us in in the Son, Jesus, our Lord. We thank you, Father God. Oh, that we are your sons. Every one of us, hallelujah, are partakers. We are qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You've made us the beneficiaries. Oh, because you're a benevolent God. You've given us access to all of the benefits of who you are. We thank you for it, Father God. Mm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Most of all, thank you that you sent this Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us. Greatest gift we could ever have is to have you in us forever. Mm. I just pray in this moment, Father God, that people everywhere are embracing the reality that they are the Son of God. And that they say from their heart, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Glory. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that no matter what they are facing, that they have access to the answer tonight. You are the answer. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, we just give you praise, Father God. We thank you for your goodness your kindness toward us. We thank you, Father God. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you for salvation. We thank you, Father God, that none here need to be bound any longer. For you sent forth your word and healed and delivered them. And we just thank you for it, Father God. I speak life over this congregation right now in the name of Jesus. I speak the divine life of God over them. That the peace of God guard their heart and their minds in Christ Jesus. And I speak health in the name of Jesus over everybody. I command everybody, line up with the word of God. That by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. We command every sickness and disease to leave these bodies. They are the holy ground and temple of God Almighty. You're transgressing. Sickness, you're transgressing on the property of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray that people have the confidence to rise up in their authority in the name of Jesus and command disorders and addictions to lose their grip in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to have ministers up here.
as we close. If you want to come and, and have somebody minister to you, uh, get counsel, get agreement, get prayer for anything, then I want to invite you up. Uh, don't leave without coming and seeing somebody. Uh, and be sure and be here this Sunday. We're continuing Train Family. It's been a powerful series, and I know you're going to be blessed by it. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>